you've seen a real retrenching of these shopping corridors that in the past had huge rents and bundles of people. And everybody, when they went to go and buy something, they would go to these places, places like Soho, places like Times Square, places like Fifth Avenue, right, right outside Absolutely. of here. Yeah. And you've seen a huge uptick in vacancy. These markets now today, one in five of these stores, 20% is vacant or going to be vacant. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, nbcnewyork.com slash healthu to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health, life years ahead. A lot's been made about the changing landscape in Manhattan and the other boroughs too. When it comes to real estate, in particular commercial real estate and some residential real estate, uh, we spotted a couple of uh, key developments in Crane's New York business. And we invited Dan Geiger, who covers real estate for Crane's New York business, to come talk to us about them. And Dan and I go way back to an earlier form of the debrief. I like uh, that form, and I like this one, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've moved on into the podcast era. Dan, thanks for being here. Tell Thank us you. a little bit about a couple of recent stories you reported. First, I think Amazon, because a lot of people remember the big Amazon story where they ultimately decided not to come to Queens. Uh, but that doesn't mean they were done with the city. <laughs> totally right. And the... I thought this was so interesting because I said to myself, if there's two stories back to back, and they were literally day after, one day after the next, that highlight and illustrate the changes in the city's economy and the retail sector, right? The retail sector being one of the most, I mean, it's a part of the real estate industry that everybody feels like they can touch and feel. You walk down the street, you see stores, right? So you feel connected to it. And if there were two stories that illustrated the changes afoot, it was these two stories. And the story was Amazon, opening a huge new warehouse on Staten Island, right? And this is gonna be for a last mile distribution center. And this is one among several warehouses that Amazon has put its stake in the ground and either built or leased in the city in recent years. Um, and expanding its footprint for e-commerce, deliveries, more products in a shorter amount of time to consumers. New York City, remember, is its number one e-commerce market mm -hmm. in the country right. by far. And then the next day, Downtown at Brookfield Place, which is right across from the World Trade Center, Saks Fifth Avenue, they had uh, a very nice recently built department store for women that closed. The women closed last year. They just announced they're closing the men's too, which was a smaller store, but still a 17,000 square foot store. That's a big store, mm -hmm. right? 17,000 well, square foot. Major brand. Yeah. Major brand. And what is their statement? Their statement is basically, I'm paraphrasing here, we can't really be successful doing brick and mortar stores today. We're going to focus only on our iconic Fifth Avenue store, which people still come to because it's just a, a bastion of retail, right? It's a huge store that everybody knows about and everybody comes out to look at the windows. It has a huge place in the, in the minds of shoppers, mm -hmm. especially people who come to New York and visit here, tourists. They're gonna keep that, but they're gonna really focus anything beyond that is gonna be e-commerce. I mean, think about that. Yeah. This is a department store saying, we're abandoning essentially department stores. Right. So you're saying what you had really back to back was a tale of two retailers and really the right. one affecting the other. And really in that 24, 48 hour period, you had the disruptor expanding right. and those that are disrupted further shrink. Con contracting, yeah, right. Contracting. It's, it's a real shift that you're seeing. And uh, you know, you see it across the city. Department stores, I want to tell you, have been 
and, and I can tell you why, but they've been particularly hard hit. And the reason is, is because department stores, first thing, they tend to be large, right? So they have a lot of overhead. They carry a big real estate footprint. Right. And they sell a lot of products that you and me and everybody else in America can now buy with free returns and free shipping in their living room, right? right? Just going on your phone. So they're particularly hard hit. They don't sell anything special. And what have you seen? You've seen Henry Bendel go out of business. You saw Barney's go out of business yep. last year. Lord & Taylor closed its flagship store in the city. Mm -hmm. You've really seen a seismic shift, right? And overall, you've seen on the high streets across the city, yeah. speaking even larger beyond department stores, you've seen a real retrenching of these shopping corridors that in the past had huge rents and bundles of people and everybody when they went to go and buy something they would go to these places, places like Soho, places like Times Square, places like Fifth Avenue right, right outside Absolutely. of here. Yeah. And you've seen a huge uptick in vacancy. These markets now today, one in five of these stores, 20% is vacant or going to be vacant. And the reason is, is because that slice of e-commerce that we see that's targeting just these very national stores where you can buy these products. If I want to buy a pair of Nike sneakers, I don't necessarily have to go to the store. I could just go to Amazon or I can go to Nike.com, right? Right, for sure. And you're right, you walk in these corridors, these stretches, Madison Avenue, Fifth Avenue, uh, the Broadway going up Columbus and the west side, right. the spines of the city, more and more vacant storefronts. The high-end stores for sure, or perhaps the bigger department stores, but even smaller mid-size, sometimes some would even argue mom and pops. Dan, what is it uh, about landlords? Some people think, well, landlords are just simply holding out for uh, more rent and, and they can actually benefit or take some sort of loss with the empty storefront space. That's what seems to boggle the mind about it's, how long some spaces have remained empty in certain locations. It's a great question and that has been something that has really grabbed at uh, the concerns of New Yorkers and elected officials where they said, I've had this, I've gone to this store for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. It's a part of the fabric of my community. It seems like it's a successful store. We can point out probably between us a few of these that are personal to us and it closed. And it was because the landlord wanted to charge more rent. And I think that did happen in certain circumstances where you did see the landlord get ahead of themselves and believe and buy into the hype. Remember just five years ago, David, landlords and consumers Everybody was in a little bit of a different mindset, and it's easier to kind of forget that today. But back then, e-commerce was, even today, e-commerce is 10% of consumer spending. Mm -hmm. Today, mm -hmm. right? It's growing, right. but it's still just 10%. And landlords said, you know what? Stores still need space. My store is in New York City. Right. It's got a value to it. I've had this tenant here for 15 or 20 years. Maybe they're a great tenant. Maybe they're a little bit old. Maybe they don't operate as good as he thinks that he or she, that landlord, thinks they can get a new tenant to go in there and, and redo the space and become more vibrant. And so that did happen in certain cases, and you did see vacancies pop up. That is kind of, th there's been a reversal of that a little bit okay. because the word has gotten out. And, and this is what I get from talking to landlords. It's always outliers, but landlords, I spoke to a landlord in Times Square. Times Square is a big yeah. market where you can get right. anybody almost to take space. And he has the Olive Garden in his space. And he had he told me a story. For years and years, brokers would come to him and say, the Olive Garden is paying you $250 a foot. I'm making that number up. We think we can get you 1000 bucks a foot. Just give it a shot. Kicked him out. As it got closer to that lease expiring, he said, you know what? 
I started to really think about it. He renewed the Olive Garden for, uh -huh. for, 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 I know we're still talking about a national chain here, but this is an example. Right. For basically not much of a rent increase at all. He said, you know why? I don't want to get stuck with a vacancy. So what I'm telling you is that perception of landlords, there have been outliers. I'm not saying it can't happen. Right. But it's, in terms of it being a widespread phenomenon, I think that's changing okay. because landlords are much more cautious now. And they realize what they're up against. Okay. They're in a crisis. Right. This is a crisis. Right. So now these empty storefronts are really that there aren't just businesses that come in there and be sustainable or retailers, certainly not bricks and mortar. Yeah, no landlord is betting, I can get four times the rent I can get. It's yeah. a change in perception. Markets are based on fear and greed. Right. And, and the real estate market's no different. Fear has taken hold. Make so, no, no, make no uh, mistake. Fear has taken hold. So let's go back to Amazon for a moment. Uh, obviously, uh, the, the, the coverage, the PR, the, the fail collapse deal in Queens for yes. their big kind of third or fourth, what headquarters was it? Or in Seattle? They were going to do a, basically a second headquarters, second, exactly right. like you're saying. It was yeah. going to be a gigantic space, at least 4 million square feet in right. size, maybe 8 million square feet, at least 25,000 workers, each getting paid an average of $150,000 a year, maybe as many as 40,000 or more. It was it was tremendous commitment they were going to make. Right, political headwinds, political opposition uh, doesn't yeah. happen. What are there incentives for them in Staten Island, and what's the what do you think economic stimulus to the borough? How does that work out, or do we know yet? Absolutely, I spoke to uh, borough president uh, Jimmy Otto. Um, he's been the longtime borough president uh, president in Staten Island, and he had a lot of positive things to say about. Um, Amazon and the role it has in the Staten Island economy. He calls the west coast and the north coast of uh, Staten Island where th these facilities are going to be located. Mm -hmm. He now calls them the jobs coast. And it's because Amazon, I mean, these are places that really haven't had a tremendous amount of economic development traditionally, right? Um, I mean, just 10 years ago, we were talking about, they, the city was talking about turning this very tract of land into a NASCAR right. racing yeah, that's track right. because yeah. they literally just had no other ideas of what to do with this. Instead, it turned out that they built uh, warehouses and really just the kind of the perfect project for the perfect time. Warehouse has become incredibly valuable, incredibly hot real estate in demand. Logistics providers and growing e-commerce, groceries, right? Everything is going to a direct-to-consumer model, a online order model, a mobile model, where you and I, we want a pair of socks. Yeah. Sure, we used to just go down to the corner store. Maybe we go to a TJ Maxx, maybe we still do, but now we also might just go on Amazon and say, click, I'm gonna buy that pair of tube socks. It'll be at our door in an hour. And what Amazon is saying is, we think more people are gonna do that, right? By getting this warehouse, we wanna be able to deliver even within yeah. even minutes to, to deliver a greater quantity and variety of goods in a smaller window mm -hmm. of time. And that's what they're saying. Remember, Amazon's also got, they're in the process of negotiating. I also broke news of this story in Maspeth, Queens. They're negotiating right now, they haven't closed the deal, for a 700,000 square foot warehouse that will be custom built for them. These warehouses are incredibly high tech. They have robotics, they've got all s kinds of sorting machinery that augment the productivity of the worker. There have been, of course, complaints from workers that right. it makes them feel like robots, yeah. right? That they're working at this incredible pace. Um, Amazon has been, you've seen it, they know they're vulnerable to these kinds of labor issues, right? They have and been they getting have been them. Very, yes, getting ahead of them at, the, on the, at, at their, they already have a warehouse in Staten Island that's mm -hmm. 875,000 square feet. Right. And they've been very proactive in trying to get ahead of that because they don't want right. their workforce to unionize. Right.
And they have been, yeah, they've been confronting some labor issues. All right. That's right. So what are your sources telling you uh, in the commercial real estate world about what they expect, the trends? What's, what are they looking at here in the big picture uh, in terms of New York City? Uh, and I know you mentioned elected officials feeling like they may have to weigh yes. in and do some protection or offer some protection for some uh, mom and pops or smaller, mid-sized uh, businesses. What, what are we looking at happening here roughly 20 2021. In talking to the real estate community, as I do, I can tell you what their biggest concern is. They're worried that the city council, elected officials in the city, will pass a form of essentially what they call rent control that will allow a tenant to remain in the space at essentially the rent that they pay. Mm -hmm. Commercial talent. Right, commercial retail tenant. And uh, if you can get a higher paying tenant, yes, you can replace them. but essentially offers these tenants protections. Landlords, of course, I mean, it's in their kind of prerogative to say, hey, I don't want to be regulated. I want to be able to lease the space as I see fit for whatever rents I see fit. I don't want to have any more red tape. Right. They say, well, I've got enough red tape. So there's definitely a concern from the real estate industry that the crisis in retail will get to a point where elected officials feel that they have the w- enough wind at their back and enough support to kind of push through this legislation. Right now, it's ha- that's hanging in the balance. I think globally speaking, you ask a great question. The retail market, forgetting the legislation for a second, just the health of the retail market, it hasn't stabilized, okay? We've seen the rents. I mean, when you see the 20% vacancy rates that I'm talking about, that's a lot of vacancy. Right. And that means that landlords have no traction on rents, and the rents are falling. And you're seeing the rents continue to fall, and you talk to real estate brokers who their entire business is leasing space right. to tenants, they say, my tenants will take space at 50% what these landlords are now asking. So you really, what you're getting a sense is, is that tenants are, are, they feel the blood in that water. They smell the blood mm. in the water and they say, I'm gonna wait for these rents to drop. With that said, I don't wanna make this sound apocalyptic either. Or dire, just yet. It's not just yet. Right. And I'll tell you about that. In the third quarter of 2019, there was 1.6 trillion, that's, these are the most recent uh, federal numbers, 1.6 trillion dollars, roughly, of consumer spending. Less than 10% of that is is e-commerce, okay? That's 150 billion, thereabouts. So it's still the minority that people are buying stuff online, right? And there's there's plenty of neighborhood retail, I mean, uh, you see dry cleaners and you see shoe repair right. shops, and they're doing okay. Right. These aren't the national retailers. But what I'm, I think is important to note is that technology, if you think about it, it can continue to kind of disintermediate mm. brick and mortar shopping in a lot of ways, in ways that we don't expect, right? I mean, right. even brick and mortar becoming more sophisticated itself with less employees. Right like the Amazon ghost stores we've seen where exactly. you just swipe in. There's really nobody in, there's no attendance in the store. No, there's one person maybe, and I don't even to, know what to that person to just right. restock sales. And yeah. eventually, I hate yeah. to say it, but they're gonna have a robot to do that too. Right. There's robots that can already restock the shelves. Right. So you're gonna see technology continue to kind of penetrate into the, to the brick and mortar market, right. and technology and the logistics footprint that these e-commerce giants like Amazon are putting together, they're going to be able to deliver more and more, a wider swath of goods. I mean, just look at the growth of online grocery shopping. Right. I mean, everybody used to buy their groceries just going, That's again, true. to the corner store or going to your local grocery. A lot of people and more and more people are buying them online now. And so and, the retailers have to reimagine their use of the space and provide an experience, which is something it's, else. It's, it's that's a, another great point where, where you're seeing exactly that, where retailers are saying, hey, 
I ha used to have 30 shops. Yeah. Maybe I'll have one. Right. But, and I'm still going to have that one because I want customers to be able to come in and touch the pants right. or see the shoe or, or as like the Dyson vacuum cleaner around yeah. the block, vacuum up some dirt and see how it works. There <laughs> or is Nordstrom's, uh, have a, uh, Nordstrom's women's, you know, have a little glass of uh, Chablis as you uh, walk around Absolutely. the shop. Absolutely, and that's, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yes. All right, fascinating talk, Dan Geiger. Thank, thank you, Dave. So thank you. Thank you so much. We want to thank our digital team, including Darren Price, who's, uh, who's helping us out here with our regular squad, uh, Jesse Edwards and Ben Berkowitz and Harrison Choi. I'm your host, David Ushery, from our busy newsroom here at 30 Rock. We'll see you next time.